Facebook, we see the heart of Paul for God's people. It's a yearning for them to walk in the will of God and have close fellowship with the Spirit. As we delve into this book, we will see Paul's burden that the people find refreshment in the God who loves them, that they would fix their thoughts on God's coming, and that they would live lives that please Him, knowing how to live with and before a holy God. We grab your Bibles this morning and open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue on in our series in this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Sermon text today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're reading verses 6 through 10. In this letter, we've been learning a few things. First of all, we've been learning what a Christian is. Text after text has been filling that definition in for us. And also, at the same time, we've been learning about what Christian ministry and service is. We've been looking at the Apostle Paul and how he life, and we're going to continue in on that particular theme of Christian ministry service. So let's read our text together, starting in verse 6. Hear the word of our God. And now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face, apply what is lacking. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we, draw, we can draw near to you this morning and sit beneath your instruction, preaching, proclamation. Father, we confess this morning we need your word. We need it to change the way we think about life. We need it to change the way we even feel about life. What we ask this morning as we read these verses, as try to understand these verses, that you would change the way we think about Christian ministry. We ask this morning that you would refresh our hearts and our minds with these. We pray and ask that your spirit would be present here at work in and through the text, changing us. We pray this in your great name. So we're looking at Christian ministry and service this morning, and I want to start with this. The great struggle of Christian ministry and service is to be happy and joyful in Christian ministry and service and all the hard work and all the sweat and toil that accompanies Christian ministry. Because of hardship or because of opposition, because of weariness or temptation, because of unmet expectations or or frustration, work and ministry, work and ministry of service can often be something that is sapped of all joy and happiness. 
signs of this are quite obvious. When joy and happiness are lacking, it shows in one's countenance. One's face becomes gloomy. And going deeper, when joy and happiness are lacking in one's attitude, one's attitude undergoes a change. A a spirit of grumpiness takes up residence in the soul. Irritability begins to, to rule one's demeanor. Even worse, when joy and happiness are lacking, the very nature of ministry undergoes change. What used to taste sweet now tastes bitter. What used to be rich now empty. What used to be satisfying is is vain and futile. And to state the obvious, this is not the way it is supposed to be. Those who are loved, called, chosen by God ought to find a real sweetness serving Jesus. Those who've been turned back from the life of sin to to serve and worship the true and and living God ought to find the labor ministry rich and rewarding. Those who have received the word of the gospel ought to find great satisfaction in making that word of salvation known to other people. In fact, as we look at the letter of 1 Thessalonians, we are obligated by God to carry out our ministry of service with joy. Paul lays this command upon us at the end of the book, chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. He says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. But this is exactly where we meet the struggle. In the trenches of ministry and service, there are distinct times and seasons when these commands seem like impossibilities for our soul to agree with. Our hearts just don't comply with them. The words that ought to describe our ministry and service to Jesus and to Jesus' people and the world, words like sweetness and richness and satisfaction and gladness and joy, all seem distantly remote from us. As we consider the Apostle Paul this morning, the writer of this letter, was no stranger to this struggle. No stranger to the difficulties that go along with ministry service. Paul experienced in heaping proportions those things that so often rob us of gladness. And I want to remind you of the troubles that Paul Paul experienced hardship in ministry. His ministry was one of one was one of often deprivation. Many of the things that we count as basic necessities, things like food and and sleep and shelter and warmth, Paul often went without these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 5. Many of the things that we we take for granted, like reliable transportation, you want to get from here to there, it just happens usually without any problems. Paul didn't have that. He was shipwrecked at sea three times, and, and one occasion he was adrift at sea both night and day. So Paul experienced hardship in ministry, and on top of that, he experienced opposition. In the region of Macedonia and Achaia, Paul found stiff resistance. You remember, in Philippi, he was beaten and shamed and imprisoned. In Thessalonica, he was persecuted and essentially kicked out of the city. In Berea, he was driven out. In Athens, he was scoffed at and ridiculed. In Corinth, such were the circumstances that Paul, as you reflect upon his coming to that city, said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. This sampling of ministry in Macedonia and Achaia is no outlier. 
This was the sort of treatment that Paul regularly received. This was his diet. Speaking of his time in the province of Asia, Paul spoke these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. He said, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Elaborating further on this treatment, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Accompanying all of this, Paul experienced weariness and weakness. From physical labor, from preaching and teaching, from all of his traveling, Paul's body was fatigued and worn out and tired. Paul knew what all of that meant. But the weariness and the, the tiredness went deeper. His, his care and concern for all the churches of God wore him down. Also, Paul met unmet expectations frustration. Paul had disagreements and breakdowns with fellow co-workers in the gospel of Jesus. And Barnabas split up over John Mark. That bitter disagreement. Crying as Paul went his way and, and Barnabas went his way and they split apart their companionship in the gospel. Because of Peter's theological hypocrisy, Paul was forced to oppose Peter, the Apostle Peter, to his face in a company of brothers and sisters in Jesus. Paul had ministry partners flake on him. He had supporters uh, turn on him. He had churches that he planted, churches that he loved, openly question his credentials. At the end of his life, he would say this, My first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul experienced trouble. As we take it in, just a small sampling of what Paul experienced, maybe one or two or three of those troubles would cast a normal man down into the pit. I don't know about you, but if I lack food for a period of time and a couple of things don't go my way, my mood automatically, it just changes. When we consider the totality of that list, what we find is a potent recipe for Comparable to a Category 5 hurricane, it just comes in and it destroys everything. No one can withstand that hurricane. No one can withstand all of this trouble. But here's all of these troubles that I set before you recounted to you did not turn Paul into a glump, grumpy, gloomy, dissatisfied man. Not at all. In fact, it is in the midst of these troubles as Paul was experiencing them that Paul wrote the letter of 1 Thessalonians, arguably the happiest letter in the whole of the New Testament. And throughout the entirety of the book, Paul somehow, someway, bounds forth from the pages with happiness and joy and gladness, giving thanksgiving to God again and again. And we get a sense that Paul really lived out the commands he gave to the Thessalonians. Always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This joy we find in 1 Thessalonians should rise up. Go back to, to, to reuse the hurricane imagery, that the joy of Paul, finding the joy of Paul in 1 Thessalonians is like finding a house 
in the path of a Category 5 hurricane, standing tall and intact. And as we see the house, as we see this letter, we start to ask questions. How could Paul rejoice? How could Paul be glad? How could he fight off gloominess and grumpiness and dissatisfaction? How could he write a letter like 1 Thessalonians? All of this. A couple of options need about right get go. Paul's happiness was not due to some sort of perfection that he had attained for himself. We can say this confidently. Paul was not a perfect man. He's not Jesus. Well, he certainly is worthy of our imitation. He was still a sinner. He screwed things up. He, he got things wrong. And so he was a man just like us who had to go to the Lord and confess his sins and find forgiveness. He wasn't perfect. Nor was his happiness due to some sort of power that he possessed. Well, he certainly did a lot that is worthy of our admiration. Like any great man, he couldn't fly or see through walls like Superman. Instead, Paul shared in our common human nature. He is like us, sharing the same weaknesses and and temptations. He had to strive against the same innate sinful inclinations that we do. Paul was no different. He is no different than any of us who are sitting here in this room right now. He didn't have super. All of this, Paul has already given back to chapter 1. Paul says, writing about the Thessalonian church, but also telling about himself, says, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction. Boy. So Paul's looking at this church and he's saying, the joy, the gladness, the happiness that you all have, even in the midst of opposition and persecution, it's all authored by God's Spirit. The same was true for Paul. It was the Spirit of God, not not his willpower or the resolve of his strength that brought forth this joy in his life. Paul explains this in further detail elsewhere in his letters. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit is patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And we see here, what does this produce in the lives of God's people? That's what the Spirit does. From this very simple point, I, I want to reckon with. Here's the point we must reckon with. Joy in Christian ministry is possible without the Holy Spirit. Joy in Christian ministry and service is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Ministry and service to Jesus and God's people will not be pleasant, will not be sweet, will not be satisfying unless the Spirit of God makes it so. Worthwhile with that point of theology, stop and meditate on our life. I ask you, what sort of relationship have with God's More particular here, what role does the Holy Spirit play in your ministry and service to Jesus and Jesus? Is he a close and trusted companion or is he a distant spectator from your life and work? Further, I ask you, do you ask for God's Spirit, joy and gladness as you go about your Christian Are you 
dependent, tangibly so, if you look at your prayers upon God's working in Boy and Christian out. I want to go deep, dig in. I want to ask a question in light of this. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to produce joy and happiness the worker of ministry? Or how does the Spirit make us glad in our work? How does God's Spirit Certainly, we cannot box God's Spirit in at this point. The sovereign God may do and work as He it. He so desires to make a man or woman happy in ministry, He may do it in any way He so pleases. But as we study the ways of God in Scripture, God is pleased to work by means. The Holy Spirit loves to attach Himself to use good things. God's people. The Spirit of God awakens and converts sinners through what? The, the preaching of the gospel. The Holy Spirit has saw fit to, to tie his work to the preaching of the gospel. Or think about sanctification. God's people are sanctified by the word of God. The Holy Spirit has seen fit to tie his work to the scriptures as they change our mind. In light of that, how might the, what means, what methods employ to produce joy in That we find right before us text. Spirit often those to whom we are called fill us with we're called to serve. Spirit makes those serve and of joy in our or to put it like this, the spirit makes the object of our labor force of life for our that's a sentence. But actually, let's just Bibles. Look at verse. Walk through. All right. Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, and we'll stop right there. We're cutting Paul off mid-sentence, but we're already seeing the Spirit's work. So, in light of, light of Paul's anxiety, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica. And Timothy went there and he arrived in Thessalonica and he found the Christians in good shape. Their, their faith wasn't shaken. Their love hadn't grown cold even more. They were still fond of Paul. They wanted to see Paul and be with Paul and be reunited with Paul. So, Timothy's trip was a success. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Timothy goes, and then he comes back to Paul, and when Timothy comes back to Paul, he presents the news to Paul in a very specific sort of way. He doesn't give to Paul the, the news of their faith and love with a written report. Put it down here. Nor does he whisper this news to Paul or, or, or talk quietly about it. No, the text says this. Timothy has brought us the good news of your faith and love. This is more than a, a mere exchange of information. This language that Paul uses here is used throughout the New Testament to describe what preachers of the gospel do. The preacher of the gospel do, he, he stands up and with a loud and happy and bold voice, he declares the news about Jesus, the great victory of Christ over all of his enemies, over death, over Satan, over sin, over all things. 
And this is how Timothy brought the news to Paul. Timothy came as a herald, and when he appeared before Paul, he stood tall and proclaimed boldly and with joy and a happy voice the faith and love of the Thessalonians. He brought the good news to Paul. And for Paul, this must have been electrifying because this is how he described receiving the news. Timothy came and proclaimed in his his ears yet another victory of King Jesus. This time, King Jesus, by his great power and grace, sustained and strengthened the Thessalonians that they might endure persecution. Paul heard it as another victory. Finish this. Go down to verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. If you remember back to chapter 3 and chapter 2, before Timothy's arrival, Paul was distressed. Even more, he was worried and deeply concerned about the Thessalonians. So concerned was Paul that he described it as this heavy burden on his shoulders. It was weighing him down, crushing him. The good news did what for Paul? It brought relief, instant relief. It brought comfort to his soul. He was in As we've been comforted about you, find greater depth to verse 7 when we connect verse 7 to two other passages. In chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, Paul says, For you know how, like a father with his children, he exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. Now look at chapter 3, verse 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your here in these two. Well, we hear that Paul and his ministry partners were coming to the Thessalonians, and what were they doing? They were speaking to them. They were exhorting them and comforting them and encouraging them. That's how they did ministry. By their words, they were giving themselves away to the Thessalonians so that they might be built up. But now, here in verse 7, what happens? It is now the Thessalonians, their faith, which is bringing comfort to Paul. There's this reciprocal action. Paul has been comforting them and encouraging them and exhorting them. And now through their faith, it is all coming back to Paul. We have been comforted about you. And he said, live. verse, I think, describes Paul's love, the intensity of Paul's love for them. Paul was bound to them. Their troubles were, were his troubles. Their losses were his losses. Their suffering was his suffering. Their lives... ...heard the good. Being fast in the Lord, they have faith and love. Paul says, we... ...more than a big son. This is more than comfort and encouragement. This is reinvigoration. In the midst of his own affliction, in the midst of his own distress, Paul is buoyed up again. It is as if God, through this news himself, has breathed fresh life into Paul's heart. Not to go too far, maybe it is. It is as if Paul, through this news, experiences a, a resurrection of sorts. Now we truly live if you are standing fast. Go down to verses nine. All around. What thanksgiving, God, for 
for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. I have to love Paul. The more he writes in this letter, the more excited he gets. The news has encouraged and comforted Paul. The news has brought life to his soul, giving him zeal and excitement. And now the news so moves him that he openly and publicly, through this letter, brings praise to God in joyful worship. This is the happiest we've seen Paul in this letter so far. Just listen to Paul's words again. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God? that through me. It's astounding. As Paul considers all of what God has done for the Thessalonians, what has God done? He has kept them. He has preserved them. He has grown them. He has sustained them. They have faith and love, the fruit of God's Spirit. They even have joy in the midst of their afflictions. As Paul considers all the work of God, Joy erupts in his soul, and so great is his joy in happiness, so manifold is his pleasure in this moment that Paul declares that he will never be able to give adequate thanksgiving to God for how he feels about these people. No amount of words, even most eloquent words, no prayer, even if you were to pray for days and days. No song, even the most beautiful of song, would ever pay back God for his great And so he brings it to God in joy and happiness. Joy do. Notice how he ends. It leads him back into ministry. It leads him back into ministry with joy, he says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Joy is driving Paul. We have the passage and want to try to bring this. Started with this Christian ministry and service ought to be a labor of joy and happiness. But struggle, and we all know it, as we experience hardship and opposition, as we experience weariness and temptation and frustration. All of these things coming at us, they wear us down and they what? They rob us of our. We see that joy is possible. Why? Because the Spirit of God authors joy in Christians. And the means that the Spirit of God often uses to author joy in Christians, as we have seen in this text, is the church, God's people. The Thessalonians made Paul's heart happy, and that was the Spirit of God working in and through all of this. I want to lay an application in Let me put it like this. Brother, sister, want to be happy. Want to be joyful or work. Want to have joy and gladness. Then this is what you must do. You must then draw near to God's people. And you must do this because this is how the Spirit of God often authors joy in the hearts of his people. The church is the Spirit's tool of choice for the creation of joy for Christian workers. Paul has shown us how this works in our text. He 
heard good news. And this good news encouraged and, and comforted him. Even more, this good news brought him new life. And all of this brought him to God with joyous thanksgiving. Here it's the lies of the Thessalonians. But as we think about this, we ask, well, what? how do I apply? How do I live out that I might have my help is I'm a member of a I'm a member. Think about it like this. Church membership isn't something dry or stuffy, something random or quirky, some random procedure that we have in our church. Rather, church membership, as we think about it from the light of this text, is in aid to our joy in God. In church membership, what are you doing? You are binding yourself to the tool that the Spirit of God loves to use to produce joy in the lives of his servants. So I urge you, in light of this text, find yourself to a local church so that you might have joy in Christian ministry and service. And I urge you strongly that you might have the joy that Paul had. That's the first help. Member of a local church. Second help. Become a member of a local church. Be a This happening in Paul's life, the more he invested himself in God's people, the more he gave himself away to God's people in his work, in his life, in his preaching and teaching, the more joy he received. Paul would not have been able to say what he said in verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God if he hadn't invested himself and given himself away in service and You must invest. Not enough to sign a document, become a member of a You must actually function. No mystery of how this should work. I want to remind you all of two parts of our church covenant. Our church covenant points out the way joy for us. Read these two parts to you. So helpful. Our church covenant says, we endeavor, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship and ordinances, discipline and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. The covenant goes on and says this, we endeavor to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech, to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the command of our Savior to secure it without delay. How do you be a church member? What does it look like to carry this out in your life? Well, it's right there in the covenant. This is the pathway as we invest ourselves in the church, as we commit ourselves to God's people, we can trust. The Spirit of God will do author boy. Brothers and sisters, we see it in Paul's life. He invested, he committed himself to God's people, through God's people. 
I urge you, invest yourself in God's people and trust. To believe all requires faith. God's Spirit will author you. Father, we are so thankful for the text. We want to. Do not want to be a gloomy, grumpy, and satisfied. That would be a terrible witness to you and your gospel. But we pray right now that you would cast aside gloominess and grumpiness and dissatisfaction. That even today, that you use your people as an instrument of the joy and thanksgiving and gladness.